Podcast Revolution Network presents. The Way with Noah. Blowing it all out the water. Uh, there's a poll that's being cited by folks that he's 30 points ahead. Um, the poll results have not actually been released. And it's a poll of like 1,500 people and only 259 of the 1,500 identified as Democrats. So that leaves us a lot of speculating on the other, what, 1,241 people. Um, they're either, they either did not acknowledge what their party affiliation was or right. their Republican, conservative, you know, more moderate leaning. Anyway, right, like there's probably a very skewed poll, and it probably is once again another poll that's skewed old. His base tends to be very old, which for primaries is a bonus in a way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it just seems like, you know, the message really is to the other candidates Y'all need to step your ground game up and make sure that you're building the most powerful, engaged coalition and making right. the case to people about why this matters. Right. Right. So um, go ahead. Go for it. Well, no, no, I, I go to you. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you know, Joe Biden, is, I just want to get some of your background, just, just preliminary thoughts on Joe Biden in this race before we really dig in. Yeah, um, so I, I think somebody who tweeted this yesterday actually summarized it best. Joe Biden is like that uncle that you love that you, as long as you didn't get to know him. As soon as you got to know him, you're like, this this MFR is the worst person. You know, he's good at a distance. He was he, he should he could have had a nice little legacy being the vice president for Obama, but everyone knew as soon as you opened the books on Joe Biden. You really even have to question why Obama picked him to be a VP, um, mm-hmm. with, with, with one minor exception, is that he's white and he's old. And, and we still live in uh, a, a predominantly male-dominated, old, white society. And so um, I think that's what he's leaning on. I think that's what some Democrats uh, feel is going to be best to go up against Donald Trump. I think that uh, conventional wisdom is wrong. And even if it's right, that's something we need to be fighting against. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And and I was just thinking about like this whole notion that it's not fair, or you have to have proper context if you're going to talk about Biden's record. You know, the more you read about Joe Biden, going back to his very, very early days, you know, in Delaware politics, is been consistently this middle-of-the-road, white dude, anti-blackness mm-hmm. 
that he's embodied. And mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you know, you can have, we've talked about this so many times, like you can have black friends, you can have proximity to black people and still be anti-black on the whole. Like right. those two things are not incompatible, right? Right. Um, right. I mean, I mean, it's like we had slaveholders were racist and anti-black, and they still would, would sleep with black women. Like, like racist sleep with, you know what I'm saying? Like that's more of an extreme example, but like that does not anti-blackness does not prevent people from having interpersonal relationships with specific individuals. And when we're looking at policy decisions and value overall, um, it just seems like Biden does not value black and brown people when it comes to what he, as his bottom line. So just, so is it fair then to talk about his record? I mean, of course it is, right? He has the record (laughs) and it's the primaries. So I, I, I'll give you the same disclaimer I give everyone else. We have a fascist in the White House, and so I'm going to mm. govern myself accordingly on Election Day. You know, God forbid Joe Biden becomes a nominee. I know there's a lot of people who say they can't do it, but I'm going to put on his fucking t- – excuse my language. I'm going to put on his T-shirt, and I'm going to get Trump out of office. However, we have a long time between now and then, and there's no reason in the world why we shouldn't do everything we possibly can to stop somebody from, like Joe Biden from becoming the nominee because – of I, I don't even care about what he did so much in the past. I, I, I do, but do you see what he's saying right now? It's not as mm-hmm. though he's gotten a lot better. People who keep saying, oh, put his past into context, okay, fine. The stuff that he's saying right now leads me to believe that he's not going to do anything for the common the common person, for workers, mm-hmm. and definitely not for people of color. So, I mean, however, however they want to toss it up, he's, he wasn't good back then. He's not good now. Right, and there's just been so much conversation about the 94th crime bill that we can point to when we look at, you know, 25 years later, um, the impact of that, legis- that legislation and the expansion of state prisons and the, the, the expansion of money for police officers and, you know, um, three strikes and mandatory minimums and a whole bunch of other things that went into play and was driven by Joe Biden let's say with some of the more draconian measures, it's pretty draconian in itself, but some of the more draconian measures that Clinton, President Clinton, Bill Clinton wanted, he rejected as if somehow that makes it any better. But when you go even further back into history, just thinking about criminal law alone, uh, criminal issues alone, you know, he has this long history in terms of the war on drugs as well, um, which is intertwined all this stuff. He has co-sponsored and sponsored and supported, like he worked with Strom Thurmond in 1984 when we was little, little, um, you know, to pass a, a comprehensive control act that expanded civil, civil asset And we have seen, you know, so much in more recent years about how abusive the, 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 the use of civil asset forfeiture is. I mean, in 86, he co-sponsored the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, um, you know, creating new mandatory minimum sentences for drugs. Which had that that is infamous crack cocaine disparity. But he might have some eloquent, you know, words about it now in hindsight, but we didn't know and this was a problem. But like your answer to a problem or what was perceived as a problem was still heavy over prosecution of people. And where did the crack come from in our community? How did the crack get there? Right. Right. 
and here's the big thing about this. Like when people say, um, when they look back at his record, one of the things I hear all the time was, oh, the black community wanted these things. And Ooh. that's not true, right? I mean, first of all, you can't speak of the black community as a monolith. I'm sure you had a handful of people who actually applaud, even today, what Joe Biden did. But people were speaking out then. People were speaking mm-hmm. out because they saw the potential of this impact. I mean, or- right. organizers spoke out at the time. And so, you know, it's really disingenuous for people to try to say that black people were on board with this. Black people were on board with doing something to change the situation on the ground in their neighborhoods. What they got instead of a fix, what they got was a bludgeoning tool that really assaulted and hurt the black community for decades. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really, we're really at a place where they're engaging in a revisionist history for Joe Biden when he literally brings nothing to the table except an alternative to Bernie Sanders uh, that they feel like he can beat Bernie. And I, I think that's really the reason they're they're risking this guy's background because they need somebody mm-hmm. to beat Bernie. Interesting. And I think what you just said is, like, really important about this social, like, well, the blacks wanted it, right? And it's just, like, you're right to say, like, I mean, it's split the, it's split the CBC, you know, there were people, there was an article like a month before the crime bill passed. I put, I'll put it, it's in the description for this episode. It's also in the description of the last episode. Um, I forget the exact title off the top of my head, but it talked about how like people capitulated, but it was a bitter, it was a bitterness, right? People, some of the folks who voted for it, who were members of the season, part of it was the fact that they, you know, members of the Democratic Party, didn't want to make their president look weak, right? Like, they didn't want to, like, show, like, he couldn't, like, whip and pass legislation. Like, it really came down to, like, internal politics and not because people really believed in the law. There were there were measures that key members wanted that weren't included. There was an actual whole-ass law that they wanted as an alternative that was squashed. So you like like you said you had activists you had organizers you also had members of you know co-founder of the CBC Representative Ron Dellum was one of the people who opposed it and didn't vote of one of 169 members of the House of Representatives who didn't even vote for it. So like this ridiculousness, everybody was on the same page. And I mean, then like let's just talk for a second about Black leadership and respectability politics, right? Like Charlie Rangel yeah. and and some of these Black mayors. I mean, we still see even to this day, right? We, you know, having having black or brown faces in high places is not always even indicative or representative of what is actually good for us on the ground level. Yeah, I mean, and that's why, you know, you know, the saying, everyone's kin to us ain't kin to us, right? This, mm-hmm. Everybody in the black community is not going to be working for our good. Some people, you know, some people have ill intentions, like they have nefarious intentions people like Candace Owens, right? And that that squad of mm, black people. That's a word. Some people some <laughs> people have all of the best intentions, but their way of going about it is severely damaging to the black community. Respectability politics is one of the worst things that we could have ever infected ourselves with because it forces it changes the narrative, right? It's it, and it's it's extremely potent because it's coming from black people. It's like Barack Obama getting into the pulpit of churches saying, you know, pull up your pants and stop eating KFC and all this stuff, right? Um, and, and what it does, it, it temporarily and sometimes permanently neutralizes our ability to address the systemic problems. And so to have mm-hmm. that coming from Democrats, 
to have that coming from black people, to have that coming from people that we trust is a really damaging thing. And you're right. That's quite literally some of the reason that that bill passed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, even we start coming more forward, right? So on, like, the war on drug sex up in 2003, you know, his aggressive stance on exodus. Some say that that set back uh, efforts on and harm reduction. Um, sponsored the Illicit Drug Anti-Proliferation Act, known as the RAVE Act, um, and and it, it is uh, just just a whole host of issues. With you know, people don't want to say this one single stance. Yeah, people okay. don't want to say this. Back in the '90s, it was the popular thing to be hard on black people. It was, you were seen as a good Democrat, you were seen as a good black leader, you were seen as the type of strong leader that America needs and your community needs if you would be hard on black people. And the reality is that Joe Biden probably had, Joe Biden goes with the wind. And he went with the wind then, and he actually not only went with the wind, he tried to to control the storm. He really pushed it because Mm -hmm. it was all the rave to be hard on black people. you got to remember, this was, the, this was around the time of the sister-soldier moment, right? So any Democrat mm-hmm. who wanted to be elected at the time had to be willing to put black people in their places, um, and they found a way of doing it while still pretending to be, you know, for us. And so, you know, it, the times have changed, and, of course, now he's changing because the times changed, but he's got to be accountable for it. And, and And here's the thing again. It would be different – if today, in 2019, he was saying things like, you know what, I was wrong. What is he say, saying instead? He's saying, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sorry for anything I've done. So go to hell, Joe Biden. Well, and here's the other thing, right? Like, it's not like he all of a sudden prayed on deciding he's going to run for president in 2020. This dude has been running for president since 84, 88, right? Like, he's right, been running right. for president are basically our entire lives this man has been running for president and only only this cycle watching the backlash that happened in the 2016 cycle and how how real vocal people and organizers and being able to leverage a new conversation have been because he wasn't this way when he ran in 2008 and let's be real he had to go sit he had to go sit silent and go back to the the grindstone after losing 88 and didn't try again for 20 years to run for president. Then that was a wash. Fucked up and became vice president and thought he was going to sign in 26. And that didn't happen. I mean, like, and now all of a sudden it's like, it's my time. It's like, dude, lost three times. What on God's green earth? Or as some folks say, what on Blue Ivy's internet gives you the audacity, audacity, trying to run for president for a fourth time. And we're supposed to believe that he, the only hope, but like he's the Obi Wan Kenobi of the story. How does right. that even make any sense? <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's good. I mean, I love that especially because he's the old white man of the story, right? He's and, the and old white girl. man of the story. I don't see so, him though being like, "Oh, if anyone's old man, it's probably really Bernie." Like I see Bernie as much as I have issues with, with the senator, with Senator Sanders. I see mm-hmm. Senator Sanders more than likely sacrificing himself to Darth Vader. Right, yeah. so let the younger the generation cause. come through. Yes, yeah. then Joe Biden. I don't see Joe Biden being self-sacrificing at all. So, but, no, because Joe Biden, 
We already know what he's doing. Maybe thinking Luke Leia and like, oh my God, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. (laughs) (laughs) No, we already know because he already said what he how he feels. He genuinely, genuinely likes Darth Vader, right? He genuinely likes him as a person, and he works. Katie literally is Darth Vader, or works Emperor, right? Like he likes he likes the Sith Lord. He thinks so. I mean, how do you? How do you say that in tw- how do you say that in hindsight? You know, how do you say that in hindsight of the Iraq war? How do you say that in hindsight of Halliburton? How do you say that in hindsight of everything we know about Dick Cheney? You go above mm-hmm. and beyond to tell America that you like this guy. And then yesterday came out that he says that uh he thinks that Trump is an aberration and uh, that that not all the Republicans aren't really like him. Never mind the fact that 91 that Trump has a 91% approval rating amongst the Republicans. So mm-hmm. Joe Biden, not only was he wrong <laughs> back in uh, 88, 94, but he's also wrong in 2019. And, you know, shame on the Democrats for pushing this guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they they will probably get a lot of people to reluctantly uh, vote for him because the only person I can imagine that is actually worse than Joe Biden is Donald Trump. But, you know, we got a long primary to go, and, and I, I, try, I was going to try we to do. be ob- objective and stay out of it as much as I can. But now nah, I'm here to drag. We're gonna we're gonna have to drag Joe Biden a little bit. We're gonna have to drag. Him I a mean, lot, he's actually. definitely he's definitely getting way more smoke for me than anybody else. You know, Beto O'Rourke, Robert messed up yesterday talking about something. He put Stacey Abrams in charge of you know handling voter suppression. Like, bruh, you're already in charge of fighting voter suppression. Like, you're already doing a damn thing. Just, I get I get he was asked a specific question about her. That he need to learn to not, but he can't help but being such an entitled white man when he talks, unless he's coached specifically. You know, saying how to answer questions. But I think what you just said about you know Democrats and them forcing you know Biden on us is like real, you know, real, real. And his comments about Republicans. You know, I was having a conversation with a white friend who was like, you know, Noah, you know, I know it's not your job to talk to the white folks. It's my job. But, you know, when we talk to some folks, I find when I talk to people straight up, we, you know, we can kind of get them. I actually think you you can flip, quote, unquote, Republicans on a more local level. I think yeah. when you're having these more local races, particularly when they're nonpartisan races, then you can when it's something like president. That's just my thought because that's like their leadership, right? Like that's, that's their leadership. That's their top level. And I don't see right. them defecting in large numbers. But yeah. what was interesting about the Biden comment, though, wasn't that he was talking about necessarily the rank and file average person that they happen to vote Republican. So, like a young Liz Warren who just simply wasn't political, was a registered Republican because her parents were Republican, and that's just what she knew. She didn't know any better, so she started learning better and did better. Right. What he specifically says is, my friend in the House and the Senate. These are the same mm-hmm. motherfuckers that obstructed Barack Hussein Obama for eight years. They're his deputy, right? Right. These are the same right. people who right now are happily writing, wrote Trump's tax law, or have been trying to repeal the ACA. How many times now? These are the same people at the, that who are supporting their state-level counterparts as they're trying to undermine role and affect the black as uh, 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 abortion ban. Like, Joe Biden talking about his friends and good people, quote-unquote good people that are his friends, they are literally working against us at every level of government. Right. That's because Joe Biden still has this, 
this paradigm of politics where they, you know, maybe we lost today, but, hey, I can still go out and get a scotch with my Republican right. colleague because, you know, we're civilized. That's the that's the mindset. Um, that's the year he came from, right? He He harkens back to the era of Reagan when even though Reagan was gutting our economy and creating the whole economic paradigm that would screw us and increase in, uh, income inequality, hey, at least they could all get together and go off into K Street and uh, and have some drinks and talk to some lobbyists. And that's what Joe Biden wants to get back to. He doesn't realize or he doesn't care that the game has changed so significantly that you have Republicans who would rather die than to give us a single inch on any policy that we're fighting for. And we cannot win in that kind of asymmetrical fight, especially when we have leaders like him and uh, Nancy Pelosi, mind you, who, mm-hmm. who really don't mm-hmm. understand the lay of the land right now. The, 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 the sexagenarians are really, really messing up the game right now on this front because, you know, her comments about, you know, afraid that Donald Trump would not yield power if he lose, if and when he loses this election. And saying that that's why we need to stick to the middle of the road, it's incomprehensible. It makes that's no why sense. we need to impeach his ass right now, right? If you that's really why believe we need that, impeach his ass. If you really believe he's not going to right be, that's why he needs to go now. Like and, that, and even be. more so than that, like they're working with him on an infrastructure bill right now, which. If they, if they pass this bill and he starts spending and we start working on infrastructure, great for America, right? Not so great when you actually go underneath the hood of the bill. It's going to be a lot of private funding and a lot of tolls. So the, these companies are going to get paid twice from Americans. But, you know, on the paper, everyone's going to think it's great. So you're handing him all, all that he needs to get reelected. So these guys, mm-hmm. like – you know, I, I don't believe it's kabuki theater. A lot of, you know, some of our, our progressive army friends like to say it's kabuki theater. I think it is literally a way of thinking that they grew up in that they want to get back to. They do want to get back to civility. They do want to get back to all these things, mm-hmm. even if it costs us the things that are most important to uh, progressives and liberals. Well, and, and I, I, I think I agree with that, and I really do think that it is it's, it's, it's less insidious than the whole, like you said, Kabuki Theater or Manchurian Candidate or whatever other, you know, concept exists out there. I do really think that there's a particular way that uh, those who are in these political spaces, particularly white people of a certain age, and, and in just socially in America, have been have been raised. I think it's a cultural issue, right, and we're forcing a culture shift. But part of that culture shift requires us to organize and build with people who would also help us. You know, we, we need to remake the culture. We need to change the culture dynamics because I think what you're saying is right. This whole they want to return to stability thing. Like in that one, in the article that came out, in the, I think it was the New York Times, about Biden and what he was saying. Like they were quoting people at uh, an Iowa event Biden had. And they were like, yeah, you know, I just want to get back to times where, like, people were nicer or whatever. What the fuck does being nice mean? When you still are, 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 are gutting Social Security, when you're still letting people die because they don't have proper medical access, medical insurance, right. they can't afford treatment, what is what is being nice when housing affordability is, like, non-existent, when people can't afford right. to live and take care of their kids? What is being nice to any of that? Like, like I, I said, I, I've been saying this, it's just like they want to get popped back in the matrix, right? Like, Biden is, like, cypher leading them all yeah. back into the matrix to get put back in 
You know, ignorance so, so that can, ignorance is bliss. They can just go back to the way things was. It's not good for liberals, right? They want to make America great again. They want to be civil, but they're civil MAGA, right? Like, they're like civility MAGA. And it's just their two mm. sides. They're the other side of the Trump coin, and it's really damaging and problematic, and it doesn't help us move where we need to go. The other point I'll make that I was thinking about when you were talking about them here, Trump, what he needs to get reelected, we have an unseated an incumbent. Mm-hmm. L- w's daddy. Yep. Ninety two. Yep. Since nineteen eight. Uh, yeah, ninety two. Ninety two. He was elected in the eighties. So it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. America is. America gets used to people really quickly, right? If you think about two thousand and four, if anybody could have been put out, <laughs> two thousand and four, it was George W. Bush, but he didn't get put out because one Democrats ran somebody quote unquote conventional. Um, they didn't have a lot of good choices that year. The 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 the, um, the one senator who got caught up in the, in the um, cheating scandal, he was the John only other option that I John Edward, thank you. That's he's only uh, uh, other option that year. So it was a bad year for Jim, Democrats in general, but still, well, that was it was here and Howard Dean, you know, but the Dean scream. Uh, yeah, know, I mean, he went down pretty early after that scream, right? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He's like, oh my god, this guy's not electable now because he screamed. Yeah. Do you remember that? Can you can you believe that? I mean, if anything, look at how different the times. That's are, like a right? family thing. Having 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 worked with his younger brother, um, apparently that's like a family thing. Like it's it's that's, that's it is, and even but it's, it's yeah. But here's the thing: like in 2004, that was enough to end someone's campaign. In 2019, it's crazy, right? It's in 2019. That's like wow. Hey, he's hyped. <laughs> you know, let's go with it. It's a little awkward. Right? It's yeah. a little weird, but. Let's go with it. And and so Democrats aren't able to see the change in times because let's first be real, right? Institutionally speaking, they're not that off. Structurally, financially, they aren't feeling the effects that most people are feeling. Joe Biden doesn't feel the effects of any legislation that he has. Uh, he's actually doing good right now. He's probably saving money because of the Trump tax breaks. So, you know, that's the real disconnect. They probably don't see a lot of the changes that are happening on the ground because they're not affected by the changes that are happening on the ground. And that's why we have to get more people from the working class, people of color, marginalized communities who are actually in these streets feeling the effects of everything that's happening around us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really strong point. I mean, just look at the commentary because it's like you know you have been planning to run. Here's what he's been doing, how he's been moving. He's not moving as anyone who has to be held accountable. The hubris is astonishing. His comments about not feeling sympathetic towards millennials, and we're not millennials. We're like, you know, zennials, Gen Xers, old millennials, yeah. whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So still, like, so we're talking about, I would say, 45-year-olds going down. Um, you know, there is and, – and, and there was actually an article, I think, maybe a couple of days ago about um, the, the number of elderly people went back to school when they were older who have a bunch of student loan debt. So you do have yes. 16, 70-year-olds who are trying to make my mother debt payments. As my mother. At their retirement age, though, right? Like yeah. they're still working and they're trying to pay off student loan debt and stuff. So, so it's a really it's – a, it's, there are a lot of people. It's not just millennials. There's a lot of focus on millennials. But you got this younger generation now, these, the Gen X, um, not Gen X, uh, uh, but Gen Z. The Gen yeah. Z kids. Coming up, you know, they were born in the, the few years right before and around September 11th and, and a little bit younger. So, like, 
that's this current generation that's coming of age now. And so there's there's so much, and he's so dismissive. He's so dismissive of, of, of so much, has no care or concern for, you know, his his, his bankruptcy laws preventing, you know, what is it? Yeah. Preventing, you know, being able to, 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 to uh, you know, you're student loans and bankruptcy. Um, there's just so much that's so wrong. I mean, even him being at an event and, and shouting out and being kind to a Republican friend who had just recently been trying to dismantle the ACA while he was in a midterm cycle election against a Democratic woman who was trying to unseat him because he was an unworthy incumbent. Like, this is who Joe Biden is. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Biden. And so there's so I, I don't know what exactly what category this is. I probably have to go to some political science book. I, there are institutionalists and institutionalists really respect the actual structure, the institution, the organization. Like like they respect the Constitution. They respect the rules of the Senate and all those types of things. I, I don't think that we can categorize um, Joe Biden simply as an institutionalist. Barack Obama is an institutionalist. That's why he makes a lot of made a lot of decisions that we disagree with. Because he didn't want to buck the system. He didn't want to tear down the institutions in the way that they need to be tear, torn down. Joe Biden, on the other hand, it's like he's an institutionalist who's more in love with his colleagues than he is the actual sanctity of the institutions. Because if he actually respected the institutions, he would be pissed. He would not consider a single Republican uh, to be a friend right now. So to me, I think he puts his interpersonal relationships, his friendships above uh, the institutions. He clearly puts it above policy. He clearly puts it above politics. And what good does that really do when his friends would gladly stab him in the back uh, in the morning in order just to get one simple political win? So um, he, he's the type of I, like, I don't even know how you consider these type of people your friend to the point where you'll fall on this. You, he will fall on the sword for them, and they will gladly hand him the sword so he can fall on it for them. So he's he's a moron in that way. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point. I mean, it really is like the the prime example of the good old boys club. Like we're we're yeah, watching the good exactly. old boys club, and just looking like post. And so this is also part of the problem how Trump even got into political spaces too, right? Because like 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 this thing was what 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 is centering and keeping Biden like in at the top is also I think in some ways how Trump even got access to these spaces because Trump was a major donor to like Clinton and hung out with these folks and, you know, Giuliani and would, excuse me, would, uh, you know, golf with these people and things of that nature. But like there's mm-hmm. this club, you know, Trump's just an unstable personality. I think if he was more normal, they wouldn't have such serious issues oh, with no. him. I, I think mean, it's really again, because, he, yeah, he, go ahead. 91, 91% approval rating. They don't have a problem with him. He's a 91%. Yeah. 91% approval rating. I mean, the Republicans vote with him almost almost 95% they vote with him. Uh, so like, they don't have a problem with him because he keeps passing legislation for them and he's just doing anything and everything that they want. And so it, it really it really just speaks volumes about what American politics has actually come to. Um, and really, let me take that back. This is where American politics was always headed. Uh, the problem mm-hmm. is, is that Democrats are not up to up to the task. They're not up to the task, and it's like unless unless we force their hand, we absolutely have to force their hand, or else they will re- regularly uh, cede ground to the right in this country. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what, I mean, that's what we continue to see, even when they have majorities, when they have controllers, and that's what needs to happen. We need bipartisanship. Like this notion of bipartisanship, it doesn't. It's a. It's a. It's a cool concept that people, regardless of their like personal belief and alignment, can come together and work on something that's for the best interest of the people. But that's not actually what happens with bipartisanship. And no. also, bipartisan efforts end up shortchanging the most the most marginalized community and exactly. just, just everyday Americans. Like it ends up shortchanging all of us because they're so busy, you know, trying to appeal to, I, I don't know what they're appealing to, their collective found, uh, uh, funders, but they're not they're not working to reach solutions for us. Republicans operate from whatever extremes they're operating from, but it's not in our best interest. And Democrats are so busy trying to negotiate with them you know, using their position as a default versus having a counter in many that we get screwed. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it leads to. And and, and so bipartisanship, you got to know the lay of the land. you got to know the score. Bipartisanship right now is a concept that moves us further to the right, period, because Republicans are not going to be bipartisan on anything except for what they want. It is a zero-sum game for Republicans, and they understand this. Like, as stupid as we like to say Republicans are, right, we like to make jokes about the rank-and-file Republicans, the folks out in Mississippi, out in Kansas who are being screwed by these bills. As, as ignorant as we like to joke about them being, Republicans are the most Machiavellian and astute political ninjas that I have ever seen in my life. They understand the score. They understand the game. They know how to hold the line. They will never give us an inch, and they will take everything from us. Meanwhile, motherfucking Democrats are trying to triangulate and be bipartisan. And appease the wrong damn people. Like, this fear of not being able to capture back, like, the lost white voters. I mean, white voter share has been less than 50%. I mean, Clinton didn't even get 50% of the of white, like, Bill Clinton, if I remember correctly, in 92, did not get half. Um, I could be misremembering, but I know it has declined since 92, and he only got the large share that he did because he ran a racist-ass campaign. Like, right. you know, that was the era of Democrats deciding that they were going to tougher than the Republicans and more racist without being overtly racist. You right. know, and that's the, the, the passive nice racism is, is almost more insidious and dangerous at times because yep. it's making law, it's tricking us into thinking it's good, and, and it's really like having people work against their self-interest. It's amazing. Like one, one, I'm reading this book um, by Harold Cruz called "The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual," and Ooh, he was talking that's about one of my daddy's favorite books. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 so far it's it's killer. Like I I, I called myself I was going to speed read it, but I couldn't. After I got through the first three pages, I was like, no, I got to take my time with this. Um, and one of the things he was talking about was. Um, the lack of cultural identity of the of black people in the 60s, um, and, and really just dealing with culture and ethnicity and the fact that, um, you know, it was emerging. Like, we, we were finding ourselves, and we're finding ourselves in this revolutionary spirit, uh, and we're piecing it together. Uh, and, and one of the problems is, is that I think as we – you had different camps 
You had a lot of different camps vying for what is the spirit of black America? What does it really mean to be a black American? What does our culture look like? What does our ethos look like? What is a, you know, what are our, our traditions and our values? Like you had the things that were there naturally, but you had intellectual leaders and you had political leaders and cultural leaders who were fighting at the time to be the voice to shape what that culture looks like. Well, I, I think sadly, like over the decades, you know, fast forward 30 some years to Bill Clinton's era, one of the contingencies that actually started winning out was the respectable Negro, the Negro who said, if we just pull up our pants, if we just stop these things in our neighborhood, if we, if we do all these things, um, then, then we can have a better place in society. We can't obviously align ourselves with racist Democrats, with uh, racist Republicans, but we can align ourselves with, with white Democrats who are telling us to be better, who are going to kick us off, you know, let's get rid of this welfare, let's get welfare, you know, work. A work to, welfare to work program. Like you had this breed of Negro who absolutely made it easier for Democrats to play that Southern strategy in their own format because the Democratic format back in the 90s was be tough on black people. And you had an entire contingency of black people who were like, yes, master, be tough on us because if you're tough on us, we can be better. And unfortunately, that was a huge part of our culture that just now, Anoa, just now, in the last five years, we're finally shaking that shit off and saying, F that. You know what I mean? Don't don't worry about whether or not I pull my pants up. Don't worry about all those things. There are structural impediments to the success of marginalized communities, specifically black people in this country. So look at that arc, right? Look at that from the 60s when Cruz identified it all the way 50 years later. We're just getting to a place where we tell these respectable Negroes to get the fuck out of our way because there are bigger problems than than whether or not a mother wears a bonnet when she goes to a school, right? So we're we're still in that fight, and it's been a, you know over fifty years, but it's been fifty years since Cruz pointed that out. Yeah, I'm not telling my dad like, oh, Ben just dropping Harold Cruz. Yes, my dad, my dad. Price is a real intellectual. I believe it's probably one of his and Harold Cruz is one of his favorites. Um, I remember when he when he made me buy that book when I was in law school. And I'm like, Dad, I don't have time to read this. <laughs> <laughs> it's long; it's like 600 pages. It is. It's a very dense. It's a very thick and dense book. Um, but it's 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 really really good stuff. But I think I think what you're saying is absolutely right. And like that's like one of the books that I'd love to have. You know, someone of a new generation take a stab at maybe Ben. That's the project. I'm <laughs> giving Ben projects, y'all. <laughs> but but no, seriously, I think at least having the conversation of what does that look like now, 50-some-odd years later, is really important. Yeah. If you look at the trajectory of, um, you know, black intellectuals, the black intelligentsia, and the black misleadership class, right, we do and – it's, and it's not just the, the usual folks. There are people who, even though their politics, you know, are really good for the most part, and, and like, I, I identify with them, even some of the ways they do things and how they tend to act um, – yeah. You know, for their, their, their more liberal, more progressive counterparts are very similar to the same people they're criticizing. And so us mm. as a younger set, we're sitting here with our elders across multiple spaces, and it's like, okay, none of y'all are getting it right. None of mm. y'all are really connecting the way we need to connect to build the capacity. And yeah. no, we don't need to be chasing the white voters. And, and people often misunderstand when I say this, that we don't need to chase white voters. You know, we need to invest and build a coalition. 
coalition building doesn't mean, when I say that, it doesn't mean that we don't talk to any white, we ignore all the white people altogether, but it's that you don't need to have this special targeted crafted messaging that only resonates with them, that, that throws the rest of us under the bus, which Democrats have a history of doing, right? Like, right. or, or not addressing pressing issues that affect marginalized communities like, you know, black communities, Latinos, um, Asian American Pacific Islanders, which is such a huge, broad grouping of so many different folks, because that also includes people who are, um, uh, if I'm looking at, thinking about the map correctly, I'm going to say Southwest Asian or South Asian and Middle Eastern. Like, it includes, like, a lot of people who are very different and have desperate issues as well. So, and, and, and American business folks, right? Like, that, that is a separate group of people who have a very particular issue as it relates to the U.S. government and the land that is actually theirs that we all stand on. So, you know, having having candidates shy away from directly addressing our community and these issues, they don't want to offend the white people. I mean, the real question is, why is it offensive? Why is mm-hmm. it offensive exactly. and what is it doing? Exactly. You know, and, and continuing to feed that rhetoric, none of us will ever be made whole or ever be made right. We will never dismantle and actually address white supremacy in this country if even the quote-unquote good people feed into that mindset. Right. So, you know, there's uh, – and I, I don't – we don't have to go into this conversation because we probably need, like, a whole series on – but there's, there's something to this idea that we're by ourselves. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's some credence to that idea that all black folks have as black folks. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you've been in the spaces that you've been in, Anoa and I've been in, we've been burned, we've been screwed by white uh, liberals and white progressives, like screwed, like had our lives really shaken up in terms of our livelihood and everything, like they fucked us over, right? Uh, so there is something to this all we have is ourselves uh, but then on the flip side of it is, is if all we have is ourselves, we don't have enough numbers to get what we need done, right? And so we're going to have to continue to build coalitions while we fight against this strain of light, white liberalism and white progressivism. Oh, one part of the book, talk to your daddy about this one because it was the best part of the book to me. He was talking about a protest action that took place. Uh, Harold Cruz was talking about a protest action that took place at the Apollo Theater circa 1950-something, right? And um, it was led, it was spearheaded by the Communist Party there in, um, in Harlem. And it, he said that it was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment because the black people who saw this protest understood that the communists that were there were not there on behalf of all of the issues that they had been having with the management of the Apollo Theater for years. They were there because the Communist Party saw a play, the Apollo Theater put on an anti-communist play. And so it made the black community extremely furious with the radicals, with these white progressives, these white communists, because they didn't show up to this Apollo Theater to protest on behalf of all the working problems that they had with the Apollo Theater. They showed up because there was some anti-Russia propaganda that was being spewed. I said that to say is that we have the same problem not only with white liberals, not only with white progressives, but even with the most radical white leftist socialists and communists. We have to fight against that strain of, uh, of, of whiteness that takes advantage of us, even though we are technically fighting for almost the same exact thing. 
But when the rubber meets the road, we see some of those same behavior patterns that they've been seeing for 60 years in this country. Yeah, that's a wild example. We do see a lot of that still happening now. And I think, like, yeah, Harold Cruz, actually, Harold Cruz is probably just a really good tip for another long series of conversations yeah. anyway. But, um, but I do, I do kind of back in and just thinking about just some of the things that we've been talking about, what's going on. I'd be like, you know, I know, I know people talk about unity and we're all on the same side. And like, quite honestly, I feel like if you're trying to shush us, if you're not trying to really resolve like the complex issues that exist within our spaces, how can we possibly be on the same side? How can you possibly be for me and be with me in this fight? Don't even want to recognize the full complexity of my humanity. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. how does that work? And you're telling me, well, just, just hold on. There's nothing more important. To, to have such white people, I'll say it, Alyssa Milano saying, <laughs> there's nothing. Trust me, I want to defeat Trump more than anybody. I want good policies more than anyone, huh? Like, I, the, the only thing that matters is Trump. Honey, this is a primary. I can see you yeah. having that conversation in October of 2020. Yeah. But this is a primary, and we got some folks putting out some really good policies. I also yeah, would man. really like to. I also would really like to see whoever emerges as the leaders or the leader. I really would like to see people taking the good stuff from the other people who did not advance. Like Julian Castro has some really good stuff in his immigration platform. You know, Senator Warren has some good stuff in terms of affordable housing. Like yeah. I really so if, if Bernie is the person, or you know, what I'm saying I would like to really see. Um, like like him him increasing and beefing, and I know people are like, well, he has the best of everything. He doesn't. Um, he has a lot of really mm-hmm. great things, but you know, there are some things can be sharpened. Language, verbiage, platform, right. analysis. Um, because even just actual looking plan, at his approach, actual yeah, policy. Yeah, even guess, looking at his approach to gentrification is like. I don't think anyone has actually thought through what does it look like to have a national justification strategy at the at the federal top down approach. It, 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 any of these things we're looking at, even Medicare for all, requires local and state level organizing and action as well. And I am really excited to see, you know, Medicare for all, like folks who are healthcare organizers, really like starting to dig in and get around that. But I say this to say that, you know, we really. I mean, I, I think I'm trying to figure out how to do this since I'm not like in for a particular person. I'm critical of everybody. Um, right. Like, and, and critical of some people more than others, but not always for the same reason. Like, I'm highly critical of Senator Sanders, but not because like I think of him in the same regard as Joe Biden. I'm more critical, I would say, of Joe Biden, but I'm highly critical of Senator Sanders because like he has good policy. He has, he also ran before, and I'm right. cautious watching to see if they're going to make the same mistaken judgment calls as they did before or miss yeah. or misinterpret or misunderstand the popularity or people just coming out to vote because there's something to vote for. That's cute, but that's not how voting behavior works. People don't just come out to vote. you got to ask people to vote, right? Like you actually got to reach the people. And when you're talking about a Democratic primary, votes and primaries, a lot of the people who vote in general do not vote in primary. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting how they're voter targeting and voter ID and stuff. Like, like I'm really interested in the mechanics and, and, and the operational stuff, right? Um, but that's my criticism of some things when you dismiss blocks of groups of people or you don't want to try. Not saying that's what's happening now. 
I'm just waiting to see what happens when we start talking about the South and the Southwest, right? Yeah. Like, um, but with Biden, I mean, it's because he's absolutely a horrible person and should not be running for president again. <laughs> I mean, there were people who were like, well, you don't say anything about these other people. I said, because I find no reason to talk about them. Like, I can only talk about so much, right? I'm, I'm less, I'm talking about Kamala, Kamala, uh, Bala less because, um, not really saying anything for me to talk about. I mean, right, the last right. several times she's had an opportunity to say something, like, she's like, yes, and we need to have the conversation. When are we going to have the conversation, sis? We need to have a conversation. When are we going to do it? Yeah. This is the primary. This is the time she, for you to be having this conversation. <laughs> what's, what's great about that, though, so so two things. Like, I, I really love the way you put that, right? You're, you're hard on people, but you're hard on them for different reasons. Like, I have a higher expectation of Bernie Sanders. I have a very high expectation that he does not make the same stupid mistakes, which in a way he started. He started off making the same mistakes that he was making, but let's see how it goes. You know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, you're right. Joe Biden should not be running. Um, but, but here's what I, it was kind of funny about Kamala um, is that he has about as much policy out as uh, uh, Mayor Pete, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, and the flip side of it, you have Elizabeth Warren who's like laying down policy out of I kind so of I keep the, saying this. Somebody said um, she's like a she's like a big tape rapper. She just dropped in bangers. Yeah, <laughs> every week. You know what I mean? She, she's she's it's like Good Friday, but for politics, not on Friday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's every every other day of the week. But but what I like about what she's doing is similar to what uh, Kamala's. They're both really just keeping their head down and and staying the course. More so Elizabeth Warren than Kamala. Um, I like the way Elizabeth Warren is doing it, but I don't think either one of them are like. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's like they have to be, they have to play this game differently than the men in the race, and I think they're playing it very cunningly, and I think they're playing it very effectively, and I think that they would those the two of them will be in the race a lot longer than Mayor Pete, than obviously uh, um, De Blasio, who's thinking about jumping in, all, all these other men. I think when the rubber meets the road, I think their strategy is going to leave them in the race uh, alongside with uh, Bernie. When it comes down to it, I think it's going to be Bernie, Biden, unfortunately, Kamala, and uh, and Elizabeth Warren are going to be the top four uh, after everyone else drops out. And part of that strategy is them um, actually kind of being low key. They're not they're not getting the press right now, and that's a good thing because uh, let the press burn themselves out with everyone else. And when the when the, when everything settles, it's going to be the four of them in the race. That's my little prediction. Well, I mean, I look forward to us getting back in the swing of things and doing doing our commentary stuff as things really start heating up. Um, you know, even once the dates start in June. First one's in Miami. I was just sitting there looking at places like, is there a way I can get to Miami? <laughs> but but no, I think I, I think I think you raised some really points. But I also just like. So you know, we look at look at like someone someone was mentioning uh uh I think it was when Jimmy Carter like Jimmy Carter entered the race and there were thirty one people running when Jimmy Carter was elected. Thirty one people wow. ran for president wow. on the Democratic side when Jimmy Carter ended up getting elected. That is insane. <laughs> we're getting ready to hit twenty two when when yeah. in De Blasio I, I I quit I said, you know, I guess he figures does have a he's not like all the other white guys running because he's At least younger. He has a resume. Well, because he has well he has a, he he has probably better national name recognition 
does actually have a, a, a resume. He is um, progressive-ish, <laughs> and <laughs> he has a black family. So he, he really is like white Obama, right? Like he has the, like, for real black wife and kids. <laughs> I mean, he just knows he didn't make no – but he also has some of that, that Biden-ish with the, with the gas, like, you know, seat time joke like that. But he doesn't he doesn't have, I think, as much, you know, bad damaging stuff. I mean, he has things that people don't like about him. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, like, someone somewhere convinced him that, you know, why the hell not give it a give it a shot? Some are wondering, right. speculating if this is really just a, a leveraging point for him to try and run against Cuomo, um, you know, in four years. But I, but 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 regardless of what it is, it's like this is really interesting because you know former Mayor Bloomberg of New York uh, opted out, um, and I I don't know, but but it was the Chris Hayes. Wait, is it Chris Hayes? I always get them. Confused. From yeah, Chris Hayes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris Hayes is the young one. Chris Matthews, the the older. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. I always, I always mix up the last names. But Chris Hayes, like I see his face, but but anyway, Chris Hayes was saying like he didn't understand how people were looking at De Blasio running as a joke, and you know, Mayor Pete running as like a thing. And I mean, he has a point. De Blasio actually has a record. He actually has. Uh, he'll probably actually have some policy. Um, he actually has some gravitas a little bit. I actually, mm. you know, makes sense. Yeah. But it, but but it is this mere tokenization and, and just passive giving the people. I mean, like, what was it that Vogue cover that called him a wonk? Uh, yeah. Based on yeah. what? <laughs> based on literally no policy. There's literally based not on his data policy on his website. His well, yeah, or his color, I guess it's based on his colorblind data-driven uh, methodology practices as mayor that, like, really screwed over black and brown communities in, in the South Bend. Like, why does he, how, like, I'm trying to understand this. been dropping policies left and right. Right. Like, been on them. So, that's a Sunday chat. A lot of words there, a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, lots of you on. Appreciate you having me, Anoa. I appreciate you taking time. Uh, we'll definitely have to circle back because it's, it's going to start getting wild and wicked. <laughs> <laughs> Real <laughs> got going on for folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, sir. No problem. Take care. Yeah, you too.